0: WCNC Charlotte, this is Flashpoint, where power and politics collide and the tough questions get asked and answered.
1: Thanks for joining us here on Flashpoint. I'm Ben Thompson. Your vote, it is the simplest, yes, yet most important part of our democracy, and yet it seems controversial these days. A spate of voting bills across the country, 47 in all, Here in North Carolina, a bill covering absentee ballots, voter ID, and the flow flow of private money to election boards has been filed in the General Assembly. Senate Bill 326, titled the Election Integrity Act, also sets aside $5 million to create a a program to identify voters who need a photo ID and help them get it. The bill also states the absentee ballots must be turned in by the end of the day of any primary or general election. That was a big issue a couple months ago in south carolina there are two bills one that would require all counties to have uniform election laws the second aims to bring legislative oversight to whom the governor can pick to serve the election commission these bills not as controversial as the one passed in georgia for sure looming large though above all of these democrats up in congress have a plan of their own it aims to make it easier for everybody to vote this week senator lindsey graham though in south carolina sounding off against the voting rights bill WCNC's Charlotte's Tanya Mendez shows us what the bill would do and why Senator Graham is so opposed to it.
2: H.R. 1 would change elections as we know them here in the Carolinas. One of the biggest things it would do is eliminate the need to have an ID when you vote. Senator Graham called it the biggest power grab he's ever seen. And Governor McMaster said it's dangerous.
0: This is the biggest power grab in modern American history.
2: Senator Lindsey Graham and Governor Henry McMaster are holding a news conference at the South Carolina State House to voice strong opposition to the Voting Rights Act that's making its way through Congress.
3: There's no way to exaggerate the danger and the harm that these provisions, if passed, will do to our state and our country.
2: HB1, also known as the For the People Act, would bring broad sweeping changes to elections and ethics. It's in response to the new voting laws states like Georgia have passed after the 2020 election.
3: Our democracy is in a 911 emergency. The Republicans don't want to have fair elections. It's very clear that they would like to see uh, constraints put on voters.
2: Supporters of HB1 say it gives more people ease of access to voting by eliminating voter ID requirements, allowing same-day registration, requiring an early voting option. It would also take away states' rights to draw districting lines and would overhaul campaign finance laws. Graham and McMaster said that's setting the stage for widespread fraud.
0: I want to make it easy to vote, hard to cheat.
3: We want to have a robust, fair, uh, easy, Convenient voting, but it must have integrity.
2: But supporters say the bill would also erode years of voter suppression, particularly in minority communities.
3: When you talk about systemic racism, that's when you build these kinds of
0: things into the system. They're calling all of us racist because we won't give in to this power grab. They play the race card morning, noon, and night. I am tired of it. I think it's cheap, I think it's sick.
2: Both Governor McMaster and Senator Graham acknowledge that this bill will have a much steeper hill to climb in the Senate. Reporting in Columbia, I'm Tanya Mendez, WCNC Charlotte.
1: Joining me now, professor of politics at Winthrop University, Scott Huffman. Professor, thank you as always, we appreciate
3: it. My pleasure, glad to be with you.
1: All right, first things first. You study this stuff day in, day out, you have for years. You know it better than most folks by far once and for all, are our elections secure here in the US and in the Carolinas?
3: Absolutely. Um, you know we have a lot of dedicated men and women um, you know who work on the, you know the election commissions who do things to ensure the sanctity of, of the ballot. Our elections are secure uh, they have been election fraud, in-person election fraud, which is what the, the ID things are alleged to be addressing, is all but literally non-existent. It is almost non-existent. And uh, voter fraud by mail uh, exists to the tune of uh, a couple every tens of millions of ballots. So it is almost non-existent. Uh, as well. So th- the truth is our elections are very, very secure. I think voters can always be assured that their vote is properly counted. So so going off that, it's almost as if all these
1: uh, th- these laws being proposed across the country are really almost as solutions looking for a problem.
3: And that's absolutely correct. That's a great way of describing it. Um, You you stole my comment uh, because that's exactly the case. Uh, The truth of the matter is somewhere around seven or more percent of Americans uh, have trouble getting a birth certificate and almost impossible in some cases. We still have folks who were born in rural areas. 75 years ago, uh, and especially if they were African American, they were probably not born in a hospital if they were in a rural area. So getting uh, a birth certificate is even harder for them. So 7% of Americans, but it's 11 or higher percent for African Americans, but you know what? When you show up at the the voting booth, you have to sign in, and you know what? They have a copy of your signature. There are other ways. Um, sure, all of us, you know, who were who were born, you know, a mere fifty years ago, and in and in hospitals, of course, we have birth certificates. Of course, it's easy for us. But the fact is, in person vote fraud has not been happening, and that's all that this would do. So all it's gonna do is solve a problem that doesn't exist, but make it harder for certain folks who are a little more likely to be African American and older and lower income, than other folks make it harder for them to vote when in fact signature matches and other things could be used to prove who they are so you're absolutely right this is a solution that can't quite find the real problem that it's there to solve
1: all right let me address the other part of this is claims from mainly democrats progressive groups talking about attempts to curb the voting of some of the folks you're talking about And listen, we we know not not just that it perhaps happens right now, but we know there's historical context for this stuff. That that was very real until just a few years ago. Some parts of the country actually had federal oversight because there had been a history of problems that was thrown out by the Supreme Court. Based on what you've seen out there currently, does this idea of um, sort of curbing the voting turnout among some people in some areas of the country, Is, is, is that still happening?
3: Well, I mean, we have legislators, at least in in Georgia, and I think other places, but definitely in Georgia, quite literally saying one of the reasons they want to do this is, uh, quote, it'll make harder for us to to win elections going forward, us being the Republican Party. So there is absolutely a partisan slant to it. And there has been in America a, a strong history of trying to suppress the black votes, you know, in the South, especially post reconstruction, there were all types of things, literacy tests that were unfairly applied, grandfather clause to allow illiterate whites to get around the, the, uh, grandf- the literacy test, whites only primaries. And as you noted, the the Voting Rights Act passed in 1965, it dramatically changed the electorate, allowing more and more African Americans to vote, but in the, the holder case the supreme court threw out the federal oversight basically federal oversight said anywhere there had been a history of suppression of votes and so not everywhere just places there had been a proven history of the suppression of vote if you made changes to how elections were done the federal government had to look at it to make sure it was fair that's literally all that it was that was thrown out and as soon as that happened we saw a rash of these changes so it you know correlation doesn't prove causation, I really think that uh, we can see sort of what's happening. It here. wasn't an accident.
1: Uh, in the setup piece, we heard from Senator Graham himself, and he expressed a sort of a skepticism that, like, let's be honest, that a lot of people have. And I don't know if it's a uniquely American thing, and maybe you can give us some, some sort of uh, idea here, of a skepticism of the federal government coming in and handling uh, elections. To some people, that seems like logical easy thing to do but for a lot of folks to like get them out of here of what is a local issue
3: well uh, you know states have the right to run elections as they see fit however states have the responsibility to ensure that everyone is treated equally under the law and that's where the federal government steps in since the 14th amendment when uh, that is essentially what made the bill of rights apply to the states it didn't actually apply to the states before that so after the 14th Amendment and several Supreme Court cases, the Bill of Rights now applies to the states. So that means your right to vote uh, is, is absolutely applicable in the states and cannot be suppressed for any reasons. That's why the federal government gets to make sure that you are treated equally under the law when it comes to voting, otherwise yes, you know, how many precincts are open, even what day the elections are held are really up to the state and local governments. They could change if they want to except for the federal elections. So it is still up to the the state governments. All the federal government ever does is ensure that the Bill of Rights is properly applied to the states. And when those two match up and they disagree, then the Supremacy Clause of the Constitution says federal government wins.
1: Let me ask you to be a betting man. Chances that that the uh, proposal in D.C. Uh, Democrats are proposing actually makes it through and is passed?
3: Uh, probably not. We'll <laughs> we'll see. Um, the the filibuster is still in existence at the moment. Uh, it seems likely to stay based on Senator Manchin's, you know opposition to getting rid of it. Uh, so you know we'll just have to see. I've seen stranger things in politics yeah.
1: though seems like to me we want as many people voting as possible. And if if you find yourself saying, oh, we don't want the Trump people voting or, oh, we don't want those woke college kids voting because they're liberal, that's part of the problem. Fair fair minded people want safe and secure elections and also want as many people voting as possible. Those should not be uh, opposing things. All right. We want to talk to you more about uh, the president's first uh, couple of months in office um, coming up on the other side of this break. Stay with us. Where's the money? WCNC Charlotte answers that question every day. We're here to make a difference. Email money to WCNC Charlotte and ask, where's the money? Welcome back to Flashpoint. President Biden's now been in office for almost three months. He's nearing his 100-day mark coming up at the end of this month. During his first two months in office, he signed into law a $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief bill and proposed a $2.3 trillion infrastructure and tax plan. But working across the aisle aisle has proven tough. No Republican lawmakers voted for the COVID-19 relief bill and none appear likely to support the infrastructure plan at this point. Less than 100 days in at this point, uh, Professor Scott Huffman of Winthrop, what are fair criticisms and what are not fair criticisms that that are sort of uh, owed not only to President Biden, but any other president?
3: Well, you know, the hundred days is kind of an artificial uh, point. It was, it was, you know, after Franklin Delano Roosevelt and, you know, the the famous one hundred days. We've decided that that's a metric uh, to use for all presidents. It's kind of odd, but sure. You know, it's the new it's the new metric. So we have to look at, uh, in some ways, what he said he's going to do. He said he talked about the number of vaccinations Uh, he did achieve that i mean the the rolling out the vaccinations and getting them out to the states uh, and getting them in people's arms that that worked Uh, as far as the promises about uh, you know pandemic relief uh, the bills that you mentioned um, he followed through with those Uh, republicans were in favor of those when trump proposed them and there was uh, across the aisle voting from democrats who voted for it under Trump, but again, in this polarized time, you really couldn't expect a lot of Republicans. You know, the Senate used to be not nearly as polarized as the House. And in fact, Democrats and Republicans in the Senate didn't used to be very far apart ideologically, but over the years, they have become more and more polarized and negative partisanship, which means, you know, not doing something because my party wants it, but simply doing it to stymie the other party negative partisanship on both sides has has really come to the forefront. So I really didn't expect many senators, especially when Trump is still the voice of the Republican Party in many ways, I didn't expect many to to come across. Same with the infrastructure bill. That actually, a lot of the elements in it were things Trump had talked about doing. Um, You know, there's the famous running joke of, oh, is it infrastructure week again? Well, one of the reasons is because uh, lots of presidents, including Trump, talked about the importance of improving our infrastructure. The economy of America still runs on its bridges and highways and waterways and the, the infrastructure that allows goods and services to get to market. So if you're a good capitalist, you really want a, a strong infrastructure to support that. And we saw that when, you know, Trump was in power, the Republicans wanted it, the Democrats were, you know, some were for, some were not. And now it's flipped. Negative partisanship is to be expected, but the fact is, Those are some promises that he followed through with. Uh, Promises he did not. uh, He is still putting kids in cages, although I think he's changed the name detention centers or something. Um, He has backed off about relief for student loan debt. Um, And so there's several of those things where he has been called out by the, the far left in the Democratic Party for not following through.
1: Uh, it's been said, fair or not, that this is, you know, he's ushering in a time of big government. You know, Republicans have really ran very successfully in the last 30, 40 years about, hey, the scariest words in the English language, I'm government, I'm here to help out, you know, and, and really quite successfully to where I do feel like Americans have a skepticism about the federal government. Can, can one man, can one president really change that? Or is that something that's baked into sort of the American psyche?
3: That, that, was, that was a great, great quoting of Ronald Reagan. Uh, and that is what he said. And he really ushered in this idea. And you know, his uh, uh, mantra was, you know, uh, starve the beast. Um, by, you know, not feeding it, not giving the federal government money and forcing it to shrink down. Um, The the great irony is, though, uh, you know, people who call for small government, when they get in power, they increase it. Uh, You know, Trump increased the, the debt and deficit astronomically to historic highs. Um, You know, you get things like uh, increases in in ICE, uh, you know, immigration, customs enforcement. So there has been an increase in federal government and that's actually been true. It was true under uh, George W. Bush, obviously, Department of Homeland Security. It's one of the most massive increases in the size of federal government Um, under Trump. We obviously saw a massive increase in in government spending, and and that a lot of that came from tax cuts to to wealthier folks and to businesses. So yes, people are distrustful of government, especially conservatives. Now it is a conservative mantra to be distrustful of the media, to be distrustful of uh, government in general, and you know, be distrustful of anybody who's not. Uh, in line with their beliefs. And that is even coming true within the Republican party where staunch conservatives like Mitt Romney are called rhinos, uh, you know, Republicans in name only because they're not in line with the, the sort of the modern uh, uh, kind of Trumpian view of, of conservatism. Real quickly, real quickly. So professor, both parties, both uh, parties grow government.
1: I, I want to get your reaction because it's been a, a rough week for uh, your community there in Rock Hill, uh, mm-hmm. uh, five people, shot to death at a home a home of a, a well-known uh, physician there in town. Uh, y- you don't have any specific link to any of these people, but I but I know it, it's a small town When something like that happens. It I'd be remiss if I did not ask you to sort of your thoughts on it.
3: Um, I, I, You know, I've had the opportunity to meet Dr. Leslie a couple of times, but did not know him um, as well as many in our community. He and his family were the phrase pillars of the community is not overstating it for that family. Uh, everyone in Rock Hill is at most one to two degrees removed from someone who just had their life upended. Uh, it is a great tragedy to this community. It, the, the act itself was horrible, but uh, to whom it happened, and I'm talking about both the the Leslie family and the, the Adams family, uh, the, the murderer's mother was a beloved teacher. Uh, retired and had been in an accident, partially paralyzed. Uh, So, you know, really two horrible tragedies, one unspeakable crime. And the the whole community is is absolutely reeling. People are trying to make sense of it. We know there will in the end be no sense made of it, but people still just desire to know why, why can something this horrible happen? I think it's important to set
1: the expectations there that regardless of what the investigators find and what they come up with in the weeks and months to come, we're still not going to have the answers that that, that we want. Just never do in a situation like this. All right, Professor Scott Huffman. Professor, thanks as always. We appreciate it. Thank you. More Flashpoint after this. Where's the money? WCNC Charlotte answers that question every day. We're here to make a difference. Email money to WCNC Charlotte and ask, where's the money? Welcome back to Flashpoint. After Major League Baseball moved its all-star game from Atlanta in protest of Georgia's new voting law we talked about earlier, it's brought back a lot of memories, some not so good, of the same thing that happened here five years ago after House Bill 2. The law ultimately repealed and replaced, but it led to blowback, similar to what we're seeing down in Georgia. And it's no fun when you're living through it. If you lived here, you have to remember. WCNC Charlotte's Brandon Goldner looks back at how it's still, to this day, affecting us.
0: One of the impacts of HB2 that we still see today is this building. This is supposed to have been where PayPal opened up its new operations center, hundreds of jobs, but that didn't happen. Instead, companies, conventions, and competitions all went elsewhere in protest of HB2. The NBA pulled out of the Queen City for the 2017 NBA All-Star Game. Singers canceled concerts, and two companies planning to come here, Adidas and Vox Pro, took their jobs to Georgia. Now, five years later, the Peach State's political leaders are now facing their own business blowback to a controversial law. Yes, it reminds me of HB2. which was Jennifer Roberts was mayor when Charlotte City Council passed a gender identity non-discrimination ordinance, which resulted in the General Assembly pushing back with HB2. People remember HB2.
2: And one of the things that had happened is it also raised the visibility of our transgender neighbors. There have been some good things that have come out of
0: that. The so-called bathroom bill was partially repealed a year later. But by then, the Associated Press estimated the law cost North Carolina $3.7 billion. And even five years later, Lawana Mayfield, who was on Charlotte City Council at the time, says the city is still paying the cost. The city of Charlotte is still growing. But imagine... If that growth had continued instead of having this long pause. While she does not support Georgia's new voting law, she believes businesses boycotting the state and Major League Baseball moving its all star game are not solutions. Find minority owned businesses where you can invest there to show your support. We're still working to try to get an interview with former Governor Pat McCrory, who signed HB2 into law in University City. Brandon Goldner, WCNC
1: Charlotte. We'll have more Flashpoint after this. Where's the money? WCNC Charlotte answers that question every day. We're here to make a difference. Email money to WCNC Charlotte and ask where's the money? Welcome back to Flashpoint. A big week here in the Carolinas. Now just about everybody, 16 years of age and older, can get the coronavirus vaccine. As I wrote on Facebook, we have waited a long time for this. Let's thank all the scientists, doctors, nurses, medical workers who've helped us through this. We saw some dark days of doubt and division. Our healthcare heroes remained bravely resolute, armed with science and medicine. By the way, we're not out of the woods yet. And finally, let us never forget the 556,000 fellow Americans died waiting for this vaccine. We honor them as we gratefully move towards hopefully a brighter future. Folks, come chat with me on social media, Twitter, Facebook, even Instagram if you want. If there's something you want to talk about, let us know. And a reminder, a reminder folks, We have a Flashpoint podcast. Head on over to WCNC.com slash podcast to start listening. There are some things that never make it into the news broadcast. There you can find those things. Exclusive content, as we like to say. Today's episode, as well as any others you might have missed on there. We'll see you back here next weekend.